this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. And so I am all for Andy, this amazing human to talk today about what he's not sorry for. But before we get into that, Andy, just give a little background about you and who you are. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'll try to keep this short, right? And uh, being short is not something I'm really good at. Uh, but originally from Oakdale, California, um, went to West Point. I played football for Army. Uh, that's where, you know, I uh, really struggle with the 47 month crucible experience. That's West Point, every aspect of it. And uh, when I was at, I switched positions my sophomore year, I was a fullback, switched to defense and, and, and just really struggled. I was getting my butt kicked, um, you know, was really drowning academically, struggling on the field, couldn't get out of my own way. Um, you know, it's really struggle with things like confidence and composure and concentration and that's when I really found the mental game and um, through a unique center called the West Point Center for Enhanced Performance. And it really just set me on this path um, that, that to become who I am now, which is a mental performance coach. I love it. And I think it perfectly ties in to what this show is called Unapologetically Bold. And so, Andy, what are you not sorry for? I am not sorry for helping people kick ass between the ears. Oh, I love it. And oh, tell me more. Yeah, no, I, you know, so kind of continuing the story, you know, I, so I, I got commissioned from and graduated from West Point simultaneously, became an army officer, like all cadets do. 9-11 happened a couple months after I graduated, right? And so this, I, I realized how important the mental game was, but early on in the, the 2000s, you know, we didn't really talk about psychology open and you know, it was something behind the shadows is something where if you had you had a problem, it's very personal, it's behind cloud closed doors. But I really quickly realized in my first combat experience and then multiple combat experiences thereafter that you have to train your brain, your your mind and your emotions, you know, is equally as important, if not more important, especially to be successful in combat, let alone to be a leader and coach in combat, than you do your, your physical part of your game and your technical and tactical part of your game. Yet at that time, we weren't, there wasn't a process, an art and science to doing that, right? Because it was in the shadows. It was behind locked doors and it, and it needed to be brought out in the open. And so, you know, I went back to West Point after my second combat tour. I was going to get out of the army, uh, just pulled off on the roadside of life, um, you know, because I missed the birth of my son. And you know, I'd saw a lot of combat, done a lot of hard things. Um, you know, my wife was just done <laughs> with the army um, and because of our sacrifices and I went back and I, I found sport and performance psychology and I found positive psychology or a psychology of resilience. And this idea about kicking ass between your ears through a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Nate Zinzer, who is probably the, the best practitioner of sports psychology you've never heard of. I call him a Yoda uh, of the Jedi Council of sports psychologists. I just found that, hey, you know, this is not only um, 
not only important, but this needs to be brought out to the masses. This needs to be brought into the military and through the military and also through sports and business, you know, we can provide this vehicle and this process to really help people uh, get better from the inside out. Oh, I love that. And I think it's so true and so important because my story is a very similar in the aspect that got frustrated with something. And it was like, physically, I was right. Like, um, I exercised, I worked hard, like, but I was still stressed out and I was dealing with shame and some past regrets, you know, and how much it owned me. And for me, growing up in a religious um, community, and there's always this, this thing that this verse they always said, and it was like, don't care about what you look like, just care about like, work on your mind. And I was like, no, like, I am an exercise physiologist. Physiology says that you need to eat right. You need to sleep. Those are the things that matter. But then what I found from researching more, because I was just pissed off because I wasn't right, um, was that like a lot of things happen in our brain. Like we can nerd about it all day about how serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, cortisol. But those things, like whenever you can understand these things in a deeper level of how they affect right. our body. But then also going into a deeper level about how much this game up here can control everything. And that's why I love that you call it mental fitness. And mental that's right. That, that is exactly right. And, and to kind of break that down a little bit more, I mean, you know, psychology, you know, has been around for, you know, probably a, a couple hundred years now. Start off as pathology, you know, about sickness and illness and treating injury, like just like you do on the physical side. In the last hundred years, it's moved towards like, you know, uh, preventing people from slipping into illness and injury. And then now we've moved in the last 50 years to the art and science of uh, mental performance, right? Um, so just like you're talking about, phys you know, on the physical side, how do you get bigger, faster, and stronger? Well, you know, how do I make better decisions? How do I uh, be more confident, compose, concentrate, be goal-oriented, motivated? And so, and, and if I have a way to do that, just like, you know, I train my body, if I could train my brain, then that will make it more likely that I can help influence others, right? And I think every coach in America, I work with a lot with coaches right now, talks about mental toughness, but they don't really know how to develop that within themselves, let alone within their players. And, and I think that's really where it's at for me. Uh, I was helping leaders and coaches really understand how to build that within themselves and then train their, their, uh, their athletes and their subordinates how to do that as well. Yes. And so I'd love to like dive into that more. What are yeah. some of your tools or techniques that you would invite people to possibly look at whenever yeah. it comes to your mental game, uh, either if it's on homework or play, because we're a human everywhere. So what what would you yeah. say to that? Yeah, I would say like, you know, I mean, first of all, just to kind of go in it to, to break it down. I mean, there's really four core competencies that I look at when it comes to your mental game. One is self-awareness. Uh, two is uh, self-management or self-regulation. The third one is uh, environmental or social awareness. So that's beyond, now we're getting beyond self. And the fourth one is influence, right? And so really it starts from the inside out. So really everything begins with self-awareness. And, uh, you know, for the, I won't get into it in detail. But for more learning, go check out uh, Dr. Stephen Hayes from the University of Nevada. He talks about ACT. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Emily, but uh, this is acceptance and commitment training. Have you, you've heard of it? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's fantastic, right? You know, so this is really important because I think when you look at self-awareness, you know, in terms of your mind, uh, it's really, you know, first of all, it's being open um, to how you think and understanding the fact that, hey, the way that I can't, you know, just like physiologically, I can't 
stop my heart from beating, right? So I really, people think that you control some of your physiology, but really you influence the process. There's some things you can't even control, like, you know, you know, and so I can influence my heart rate, right? But some people think you could turn off your thinking. It's not the way it works. It's kind of like a river, right? It's always flowing. And then there's currents that are kind of on the surface. And then there's and there's currents that are on below that, right? So your your mind is always thinking 24-7, right? And so how is that working for you or against you? So I think one, one of them is being open to this idea that, you know, your thoughts happen. They're not necessarily good or, or bad. And then becoming aware of how your thinking patterns or what we talk about a mindset, you know, which is a deliberate thinking pattern. Is that helping you or hurting you? And then the skill part is then building into looking at your thoughts from an observer standpoint. And then also understanding, I think that, you know, so self-talk is one of the things that comes from sports psychology. And, and, and I think that, you know, you really look at the way that you talk to yourself is super important <clears throat> in directing your thoughts. And I call it the dictator and Stephen Haynes says this too. The dictator and then the other counter that is the liberator, right? And so who really has the day, right? And, and the dictator isn't always bad because negative self-talk actually serves a, a purpose to help keep you safe, you know, and, and that's built into our DNA as far as how we are. And some studies suggest that even a little bit of negative self-talk, you know, right before uh, and during uh, performance can actually help you in some cases. But if that dictator dominates your life in terms of, you know, how you think and how you feel and it your emotions end up controlling you, versus you controlling them, then that, that leads to more pathology or pathological signs and symptoms. You know, whereas the liberator understands that, hey, I, I recognize what my thoughts are. And then kind of like I call it mental Aikido, which is a martial art where you absorb the, you know, absorb the attack, you know, from the opponent and then you redirect it towards back towards that opponent or something else. And the way I like to look at thoughts is the same way using that act model is to you know, if I have a negative thought that's dominating me and causing me anxiety, fear, and these negative emotions that are starting to control my physiology and affecting my behavior in unproductive ways, how can then I then observe that, understand it, and then redirect those thoughts, those emotions, and those behaviors in ways that are productive, right? And if you can do that in deliberate and effective ways, knowing that, that you know, uh, understanding what optimal performance is, which is really getting the most out of what you got. Because uh, we're never going to be on the peaks all the time, right? The zone is totally overrated. We live most of our lives in the valleys. And so when we embrace the deliberate discomfort of sometimes, you know, the fear, the anxiety, the negative thoughts and the emotions that we have that make us human beings, make us hot, then mm -hmm. we can start to then be able to then direct them in ways that are productive to help us and help others, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes total sense. What it makes me think of two things is, one, it makes me think of, I say, killing the ants. I talked to somebody overseas and they um, they call it killing the gnats. But either way, it's automatic negative thoughts or negative automatic thoughts, whatever it is that mm -hmm. um, it pops up in your brain and, and being able to control them and own them. What mine is, is all about owning and accepting it, accepting That's it right. and, and making it where you own it. <laughs> because That's the right. thing is, if you never accept it, it's very hard to control it. That's it's right. very hard yeah. to do anything with it and then the other thing that it makes me think is one thing that just i know more science is coming on with it but it is the fear and i love that you said to bring some negativity because this actually happened to me and i was having a conversation with one of the d1 baseball coaches a few weeks ago and we were talking about anxiety depression negativity and like and positivity like what do you do and what i said is it's whatever's best for the person you know sure. each human's different 
-hmm. But for me, it's the awareness and knowing. So for me, before I was a collegiate cheerleader, before I did a uh, one of my tumbling passes, I would say something negative about a certain person that I felt like owned me. And like, that was my thing. That's what hyped me up, you know? Mm-hmm. But if I am, I'm tiny, I'm 410. Mm-hmm. If I was stunting, you know, my thing would be to be calm mm-hmm. and just understanding what and when to do where. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, totally extreme examples. I think about, you know, I've got a chance to write a book called Deliver Discomfort. You know, it worked with uh, you know, these really high performing tactical athletes. I mean, I call them real life superheroes that have done these amazing um, performances in, in combat in extreme situations, two Medal of Honor winners, Navy SEALs, Rangers, Green Berets. Right. And, you know, um, and getting the chance to talk to these guys about what were you thinking in the moment and having conversations with them is really amazing. Right. You know, so when, when somebody's life is on the line, they get shot and they're they're dying. Oh, you yeah. know, it's it's like, you know, OK, well, yeah, it's kind of like the whole Ricky Bobby thing. We're like, control your heart rate. You know, oh. it, like it, it doesn't work like that. Right. You know, your body is designed to perform and so is your brain. Right. You know, and so the sense of urgency to get things done to prevent an even worse thing from happening is an optimal performance. Right. And then and it's also kind of debunking this idea that I think about from leaders standpoint is this idea about commanders calm. Like you're going to be a flatliner and I got ice water in my veins all the time. That's a bunch of bullcrap, you know, and there's some great historical examples like Dwight Eisenhower, who struggled with anger his entire life. Abraham Lincoln was, you know, some people said he was one of the most depressive people he's ever been around his entire life. Right. And so this idea that we've got to be on and at our best all the time is something that I'm I'm hoping to debunk. And that kicking ass between ears sometimes mean means just surviving and coping and getting by, because that can be an awful performance, especially right now. Right. That is so true. Oh, so I would love for you to just go a little bit more in on the acceptance. Yeah. And how, because I didn't hear this until actually who's coming on Thursday, the other Andy. So Mm -hmm. Andy Bass is going to be coming on and he works with the pirates, but that's something too, that he's been talking about accepting it. And so for people to get to this level of optimal performance, Mm-hmm. acceptance is in it but go more into that if you don't mind because i think that's really important because i feel like it's new stuff that people are hearing about yeah. but they're not understanding yeah no for, for sure you know well i think that um you know it's, it's becoming into popular psychology now and i think the idea about uh accepting is it really comes to understanding you know what you're up against right and then getting into stoic philosophy which i know other guests have probably talked about which is understanding what you can control versus what you can't control. And I, and I call what you can't control grip forces and what you can't control gravity forces. Right. So I, I really, I tend to focus in on the things that I control. I tend, and I, and I adhere to more of a strength space based model. Right. And so to me, you know, and, and accepting is really then, then in committing, moving that bridge from acceptance to commitment is then relying on my values or my core beliefs, um, which for like, I'll give you an example, like for me, you know, uh, one of my core beliefs is about competition, right? Competition is the process of continual improvement, making yourself better at what you do. Another one of mine is service. And, and that's, you know, um, uh, looking out for others and putting the benefit of others before myself, right? And then the other one is is, pra- is passion, right? And I, I love to learn. I love people and I'm in the people business. So for me, passion, service, and, and competition are really the foundation of who I am as a human being. And if I I'm aware of that, you know, and then I can, and I accept that, that 
there's there's benefits to that, but there's also shadow sides to those values uh, for me individually, but also organizationally. Then, and I can accept both the the positive sides of those those values, but also the shadow side because I'm a, I'm a fiery dude, right? So the shadow side of passion is you're really passionate, right? Everybody tries to be passionate, but hey, I could I can go zero to sixty really really quick, right? So me being tempered and controlled, you know, and is super important and to be able to regulate myself. But I accept this idea that this is who I am and this is how I tend to react. And then I commit towards behaviors that allow me to be able to um, be at my best in, in either mundane situations or even in masterful situations, right? No matter what the outcome is. So it's really about also accepting the process more than the, in the product. And, and, I, and I think that's super important because we all, we, we get so focus on solving problems and, and achievement and, and the social media era that we're dealing with on this platform and on others that you're watching this really make us prone to that and to comparison. Right. But, uh, but I, I think those are some of the key components that I hope we can, you can distill into something useful for you. Yeah. And it's so important to help people understand that, that these things are game changers. Yeah. They're not just fluff. And so that's what I feel a lot of times that people are like, oh, it's just something else. But there's science behind it. And that's what I know that you do a lot of and you love, too. So mm -hmm. for the people that are hearing this and they're still like, eh, I'm not 100% on this. What is maybe some maybe real life story that has impacted you or that also made you bring in, you can bring in some of the science to even father bring it home? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I like to, I'm my own guinea pig. I, I think really the aha moment for me came, you know, when I, and I really hit rock bottom. And I, I think a lot of people can relate to that. We've all been there. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, one of those classic at the best of times and then it was the worst of times. Right. And for me, I was, you know, toward, you know, not too long ago, about, you know, uh, four years ago, I, I was really at the top of my game. I was in a special forces unit. I was doing really, really well. Um, had an awesome team. Um, I got picked up to teach the Air Force Academy. I was going to get promoted. And I, and I made this huge mistake professionally that, you know, brought into people questioning my character and I let my team down. And I just, it was an honest mistake that I handled poorly and I, and I paid the consequences for it. And, um, and so I, I went through this incredible depression, right. And to where, uh, I didn't, you know, almost check myself in the hospital. I'd never, imagine myself that I would be suicidal, but I, but I went there. Right. And I think that, you know, in my field, it was kind of separated. Right. Again, I remember I talked about those three P's pathology, prevention and performance. And then there was a clear division between people who were licensed and clinical people who dealt with health and, and uh, the pathology side of things. And this other division between counselors and performance coaches. Right. And it was like, as a performance coach, it was like, okay, we don't deal with pathology. We don't deal with pathology and sickness and illness. Right. Because it was kind of one of those neg this negative thing, but I, as I was going through my own depression and my cycle of experiencing pathology, I still had to be be a good father. Uh, I still had to be a husband to my wife. Uh, I still had to be an army officer that had all the responsibilities going with. I still had to move forward and still perform at a, at an optimal level, right? And 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 it wasn't you know so this idea that I could perform at a, at a relatively high level, you know, it wasn't my hundred percent. It was my fifty percent version of me personally and professionally, but I still had to get 45% of that 50% every single day. And it occurred to me that, you know, I, that I've, I've really experienced this whole full spectrum of psychology in my 40 years of life. And why can't 
you know, someone go through difficulty and still perform at a high level and still be able to cope, you know? Um, and so, because over the course of our lifetime, we, we do experience all those peaks and valleys, right? And mentally and emotionally. And I think in me as a practitioner, that's when I really had the aha moment that I wanted to be kind of a Swiss army knife. I wanted to be able to get, be a guy that could help people and teams in all three areas of that, right? And I think that that is kind of exciting me in terms of applied behavioral science and psychology. That's where the field is going. And then you look at baseball. I just spent the last season with the Rockies, you know, and, and, and again, we're working this idea about the paraprofessional, somebody who could do it all, right? Now, can you do it all? And should you be able to do it all? Absolutely not. But for me to be the practitioner that I want to be and the people that I respected, I realized that I, I want to be able to work in all three of those spheres. I have, I always have a bias towards the performance end, you know, and kicking ass between the ears. But I also want to be able to help people cope and, and be able to treat people who are ill and sick, especially veterans, because, you know, it's, it's no secret that, hey, you know, all these veterans kill themselves every single day. And I've, I've, I've experienced that and I'm tired of it, you know, and, and I want to be help be a part of the solution. And so for me to ignore that side would be not true to myself or, or what my mission is in life, um, you know, as I take the uniform off, but I continue to serve. Uh, coaches in the community that I live in here in Texas. I think that's so powerful in the aspect that one, thank you for sharing the story and you being a hot, humble, open, and transparent about it. Cause that's so important for people to understand that I've not met somebody that has not had stuff right? happen in their life. It's like, you're a human. And that's the thing that I love. And that's the reason why I have this show. It is all about bringing that's humanity. Right to the forefront of it because all these things That's impact right. us and finding ways for people to understand that we are human. We are going to mess up. We are going to make mistakes. How are, like you said, the uh, earlier positive psychology or the uh, psychology of resilience is it's getting back. It's not just getting back and getting back up, but it's getting back up better. Like you don't want to go through hell and just be the same miserable person. Like you want something good to happen from it. Right. But as I, I told somebody the other day that they went through something that was not good. I'm like, but I hope there I hope there was some some glimpse of a lesson learned or some beauty that you can't that came from it. And they told me that it gave them a new perspective. That's right. And it allowed them to have more of an insight about what they value and what they can control, going back to what you were speaking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important too to just go in more about and it's a cliche, and this is re reason why people think things are fluffy, but control the controllable. That's right. You know, what would you tell somebody yeah. in, in importance of like, for me, some of my key things for mental fitness is like gratitude, controlling the controllables, um, say three blessings. Like we talked about a few before the show, I'm working on what I call it, be at your home state. So homeostasis, like where mm -hmm. your body is at its calmest, it's its happy place. You know, it's yeah. not where things are owning it. You get to mm -hmm. own it. Mm -hmm. And state before home plate or anytime that you got to go up to bat for a big life event, whatever it may be, if it's mm -hmm. actually on the field or if it's actually in work or it could be at home, you could be having a birth. Like it does not matter where it is. You're still a human. These things yeah. happen. And right. so for that to say, what, what would be mm -hmm. your advice on a practice? Like I know mm -hmm. we talked about your the acceptance but yeah. like what's your go-to like your go-to exercise 
Yeah. You probably have like 20 if you're like me. Um. I, I do. I do. You know, um, I, I'm a huge fan of, of goal pursuit and that process. Also imagery, um, you know, and, you know, I think that it's the, the easy one to go to is, is really the breath. And, and uh, I think, you know, mindfulness has become the kind of this moniker for um, really thousands of year old practice. Um, I, I don't think mindfulness is the end all be all or the, the uh, panacea for, for everything. I, but I think the idea about, first of all, you know, again, Stephen Hayes talks about, you know, um, you know, who, uh, where and when, and sometimes being present and being where your feet are. I am here is super important. You know, I'm reading this book and then this is, you know, this, you know, it's called design your life here. If you can read it here too. And there's a sign up that day when you go to the Stanford university design school and it says you are here. And, and sometimes we need to have those road signs to remember that where we are and being where our feet are, but also understanding that, but you know, like I said, I believe that humans are designed to perform and we sometimes get out of, you know, we got to learn how to get out of our own way. You know, we are designed to, to reflect in the past and to be in the future. But I think, you know, right now we tend to get ahead of our skis a little bit. And so being present and, and to me and my good friend, Dr. Janelle McCauley, shout out if she's listened to this, you should have her on if she hasn't been on yet. She talks about putting your accident mask on uh, the late, great sports psychology coach, Dr. Ken Reveza used to say this too, is that the, the importance of the breath, right? Because it's your built-in oxygen mask you always have. And there's so many things that you can use with the breath um, in, in terms of to help regulate yourself, right? First of all, to be aware of your thoughts and to your physiology, how it's affecting your behavior, but then a, a way to control what's going on in the moment, right? And there's some amazing science, um, you know, that's going into that right now too, that helps you not only, you know, get you psyched up, you know, in other words, you know, helps you recover to be able to chill out, you know, uh, to be able to recover. Um, you know, you can use it in between sets at the gym. You could use it while you're running. You could use it before a big presentation or a podcast. There's so many ways you could do box breathing. Um, you know, you could use the Wim Hof method. There's so many, there's so many applications that go into the breath. The breath is always my go-to, you know, and, and also, you know, being where your feet are, you are here, you know, who, where, and when those are two, those are two quick things that I could think people could use right now. And it's going to make them better at what they do. Oh, I agree. I love the breath. Um, I do a lot of the box breathing, especially if I am very stressed because what I challenge myself is always to be like in the center mass of excitement with throw up. Like you're excited that you want to do something, but it makes you nervous. And so with that, I know that the <clears throat> environment and the state I am can own me. So right. me making sure that my breathing and then there's something cool that I love is whenever you, you like you relax your forehead, like you relax mm -hmm. your tongue. Because yeah. whenever you're stressed, your tongue usually goes to the roof of your mouth. So like relax that's your right. tongue. Yeah, yeah. And then and that's kind of related to PMR, progressive muscle relaxation, which is another way uh, uh, of uh you know triggering the relaxation response as opposed to this the stress response. But th there's a lot of different things that are out there and uh you know, I'm just excited that it's becoming more mainstream um, and it's more that we can talk about it, you know, in front of everybody. It's come out of the shadows. It's uh, it's, it's it's having its come out party and to be a part of it, to be a part of this field and help advance it in, in so many fields from the battlefield to the boardroom to the ball field. It's just super exciting. And, and I'm, I'm just stoked that someone like you is willing to to kick it around and you're not sorry for talking about kicking ass between the ears. Nope. It's, it's something that we need and it's very important. And I'm so grateful for you for coming on today. So two part 
last question. Somebody okay. is apologizing for kicking ass between the ears. That this is something that they're still like, oh, people are getting offended because mm-hmm. I'm trying to talk to you about some things that you're still not comfortable with about. I'm seeing a lot of times I see mindfulness being one of those, or um, they see it as fluffy, like you have your everybody has their haters. And so they're apologizing for doing this. What would you tell them? The most badass performers in the world you know, kick ass between the ears and they do it deliberately and intelligently. And I've worked with many of them, you know, from CEOs to to Olympians, to NFL players, to Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, um, you know, and if they, you know, if they think the mental game is as important, uh, you know, to their performance when lives are on the line or livelihoods are on the line, then then you should too. And and I think that the the more we have these, these courageous discussions about, you know, um, how we think and how it affects how we act and react. Um, the, the more this is going to become part of our, uh, part of our common narrative that, you know, that's going to help us get better, especially in these times when we're so, so divided and there's so mental health is and and mental fitness, uh, is so important right now. And so I think that the more you're willing to have that, to take that first step to to talk to someone about it, you're going to find the other person is going to want to talk about it too, but it's finding that right person to have that courageous conversation. Uh, and to go there, and 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 I think you'll you'll find some success. Amen, amen to that. So, last part of that question is: people want to reach out, they want to find you, they want to talk more, they want to nerd out. How can they get in contact with you? Yeah, a, a couple of different ways. I mean, first of all, uh, I'm a di- uh, I'm a digital immigrant, so I've got my I've got my green card for social media when it comes to. <laughs> so I'm still learning. I'm not as cool as that, cool as you am, but. Uh, yeah, I'm on Link. I'm on LinkedIn. That's kind of my go-to. You can reach out to me, direct message. I love engagement there. As long as you're not selling me something, we're cool. It's, and then uh, Instagram, I've become a big fan of. I'm a little bit on Twitter. Um, you know, you can also find me. Uh, I, I teach at Texas A&M University through their coaching academy. So you find me through that website. Um, just Google Texas A&M Coaching Academy. And uh, yeah, reach out to me. I also, be sure to check out a book that I co-authored with all, all kinds of amazing performers called Deliberate Discomfort. Um, and that was through my a company called Mission Six Zero that I consult with. And check them out at www.mission60.com. You can get Deliberate Discomfort wherever you get books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your preferred seller. And, and yeah, just reach out to me. I'd love to, to be able to stay in touch. I love feedback. And I, I want to find out what you're doing and how uh, you know we, we can work together to kick ass between the ears and help others do the same. Amen, amen, amen. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me today. Andy, and thank you for all that um, tuned in. I hope you all have an amazing and blessed day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.